This is a 980 CKNW podcast. You are live with the App Show. Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. We've got Graham Williams with us uh, as well. Got a great program today. We'll be talking more about Clubhouse. This is the new app everyone is talking about and listening to. It's a kind of an audio-only social media app. Well, there are some security issues. We'll be getting the lowdown on what uh, those are and uh, how they can be avoided. We'll also get uh, into sleep apps uh, with Graham. He's been uh, testing out uh, some stuff there, uh, some great uh, technology and apps to actually see how well you are sleeping, which is an important part of our lives. And we will, of course, be talking about Facebook. They've uh, been in the news the past few weeks. Uh, They've been quarreling. I'll use that word with Australia (laughs) over how they (laughs) use news. It looks like they've come to some kind of agreement and we'll see what that is and how that might affect Canada as well. Let's talk about some of the app news guys uh, this week. Uh, I think uh, there's some interesting stuff happening here. Uh, This is uh, one that I thought was cool. Uh, Elon Musk says that Starlink internet speeds will double to 300 megabits download this year uh we just did a, a great interview on our sister show get connected you can see that up on our website getconnectedmedia.com talking to a user uh, in ontario that actually has the service and is uh, loving it and uh, this announcement will basically double the speed i'm i'm still blown away at how well this uh, this new service is working yeah like all the pieces are, are really easy right like they've been launching satellites and they've got the network th- th- this is the way it's supposed to work <laughs> Yeah, well, it, on the segment we talked uh, with, my, with my friend Dale in Ontario, you know, he was having to use two separate services to get like a really crappy connection. And this basically blew it away almost instantly as soon as he got his package uh, from from Starlink. And, you know, the price is up there, so the upfront price, but it's certainly uh, over time and his just quality of life on the internet is so much better now uh and it sounds like and whether it's going to be uh, a pay increase or not for the monthly fee but if he's going to be double what he is now he's just going to be on the moon over the moon this is also outpacing quite a few uh terrestrial packages that we're getting from shaw and Telus and rogers and bell and whomever else um you know my parents live in this delightful little town called saint george in ontario a lot of, a lot of british expats a lot of old banged up land rovers and pubs and things um and they what they don't have is decent high-speed internet. Um, you know, it's Rogers out there, and uh, they moved in in 2005, and uh, they were told that you know high-speed internet is two years away. Uh, they called earlier uh, this year, and they were told that high-speed internet is two years away. Um, they they can't get cable out there, which is ridiculous. So they've been operating on satellite for the last little while, but over the course of the last 10 years, um, satellite internet wasn't fast enough because there was no upload that you could get. Like it was just you were uploading through a modem which was ridiculous, you know? Um, And so I looked at a couple of technologies for them. And so they've had microwave internet. This is a point-to-point microwave. It's gotta be line of sight, but they were able to get fairly decent speeds on that. The only problem was that anytime it rained or snowed, uh, (laughs) they had some difficulty. Uh, So they've gone with with an LTE provider. Um, Literally the same day that this announcement was made, uh, their providers send them all out a note saying, we're, we're sending you brand new LTE modems and we're doubling your LTE upload speed. Um, Elon is doing what he does, you know, just people don't tell him what he can't do. So he just goes and does it anyway. Um, and he's also having a knock-on effect for the rest of the market where consumers of other uh, platforms are also getting faster speeds because he's making them look bad. 
Um, and you know, whether or not you, you like the guy or the way that he operates things, uh, he, Facebook famously has, you know, has said, you know, go fast, break things, um, which Elon actually is probably the better example of that. Um, where, you know, you, you go out there and you keep iterating until you get it right. Um, but without the penal, uh, without penalizing consumers, you're, you're sort of doing it in beta until you get to a, a product that's there. So this is, this is really exciting news um, for anybody in rural Canada, uh, anybody that's been sitting there past the last mile um, where they haven't been able to get, you know, ADSL way back in the day or fiber optic now. Um, everyone who, you know, Rogers, Bell, Telus, Shaw have looked at and said, you're too expensive for us to support. Despite the fact that Canadian tax dollars have gone to you building out your networks, you haven't done it. And so this guy's put a network up in space and now you get faster speeds. I'm both happy and very, very depressed by this. <laughs> Let's move on to some of the other news. Uh, <laughs> we haven't been using this during the, the pandemic. Uh, we finally got Uber and Lyft into Vancouver, available in every other major city on the planet. Uh, you know, obviously they've been struggling. Uh, but uh, hopefully they'll uh, come back again when uh, things get better. Uh, the one challenge, though, with companies like Uber and Lyft is that you had to have a smartphone with a data connection and the app to to use the service. But now uh, Lyft uh, actually is allowing you to call a cab, from what I understand. This is something that they're, I think they're basically beta testing it in Florida right now. They've got a, a select list of cities that they support and you can actually call a number. And, you know, so this would be great. What if you lose your phone? How are you going to get a lift home? Yeah. You know? um, being able to just have someone call a cab for you, you know, sounds old school, but it makes sense in this kind of world where you can do that. Um, so far, it's just uh, just Lyft. Apparently, Uber experimented with a similar feature back in 2020 uh, in Arizona, um, but uh you know, one of the things that one of the articles I read, you know, basically what's old is new again, because, you know, probably it just worked before. Fine. Yeah. And yeah. you don't always have to disrupt everything and every piece of that workflow. They're kind of, they're, they're backfilling it into the Uber service. I, I got to ask you guys, have you ever called an Uber or a Lyft for somebody else? I have. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, so the interesting thing is obviously you get in the cab and they're, they're looking at you like, you don't look like the picture on the screen, you know? Um, so, so a friend of mine was actually down in New Orleans and uh, a friend of hers called her uh, an Uber and he's just that lovely sense of humor that they've got down there. Uh, she gets in, the, gets in the vehicle and he says, so what's your name, baby? Cause you don't look like no Paul. <laughs> <laughs> well, you never know. You, you wouldn't have to deal with that with dial an Uber. <laughs> Yeah. So this service, again, John, you said it's uh, rolling out in Florida, testing it out. Uh, you'll be able to call a number, but you still need a smartphone that can support text messaging so you can get text uh, to know when uh, the lift is coming and, you know, updates uh, as well. So I think this is a good thing for seniors and people that aren't into smartphones, uh, but uh, we'll see how that uh, that test uh, goes uh, down down there. Uh, also in the news, uh, looks like uh, Huawei is opening up their wearables ecosystem to third-party apps. I don't know if you've tried their um, uh, their smartwatches and uh, you know health tracking wearables. They're actually really good and like really competitively priced. But I guess one of the challenges uh, they just didn't really have a lot of apps for them. I mean, you just basically got what was built into the uh, uh, the the device itself. But now they're going to be opening it up to other developers to make stuff. This is a smart move. Right, like you, you, you want you want more people developing software for your your system. The interesting thing will just be like, you know, how good is the development environment? 
Um, and from what we've seen with Huawei, with you know Harmony and a few other things, like they're they're not bad at taking software and making it look good, and making it work well. So, and, and their smartwatches are, are one of my favorites. I mean, I I own an Apple Watch, but if I was all in on the Android ecosystem, I I really enjoyed my time with the the Huawei smartwatch that I did use because it looks like a real watch. It has a really distinct look to it that's very different than the the other android watches that are out there and certainly than the apple watch hmm. okay we are going to have to take a break but uh, we have an awesome program for you today we'll be talking about sleeping and the technology to help you track that and sleep better everything from the wearables to the sleep apps grams uh, got all the info on that we'll also be talking about facebook and uh, their struggle with australia which will basically be reverberating around the world uh, as far as the uh, the settlement and the agreement that they have there so hopefully that will be a shot in the arm for a lot of uh, local news and, and media companies and uh, Coming up, we're going to be talking about Clubhouse once again. This is a, a new social app that is uh, all audio, and uh, it's pretty cool, but there are some apparent security issues coming up with it. So we'll be talking with uh, Isaac Kinsla uh, over at the Infotech Research Group as to what those uh, security issues are and uh, how we can avoid them. You're listening to The App Show. We'll be back after this. You are back with the program. Mike and John here. Talking Clubhouse, uh, this is an app gaining more and more popularity. Uh, there's a, a wait list for invites. The only way you can download it and use it is to get invited. Uh, John, you've been using it a bit so far. Liking it? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that just it, it requires a lot of time and attention that I haven't had. Yeah, because it's audio and you have to listen and talk right well originally i thought i could just put it on but then you either get sucked in or you just feel like you're wasting a slot in a a conversation and people might be talking to you and you're not paying attention because you're doing other things at the same time so um but yeah yeah, generally my experiences so far have been good when i've had the time to sort of uh participate in the conversations and usually i've been with friends anyway so it's it's kind of not unlike being on a zoom call with friends or something like that too well, there are, of course, with any of these uh, new types of apps, uh, yeah. se- security concerns always seem to uh, come up, and this is no exception. On the line, we've got uh, Isaac Kinsella. He is uh, with the Infotech Research Group to help talk about uh, some of the security aspects. He's a security analyst over there. Uh, thanks for joining us, Isaac. Yeah, no, pleasure to be here, guys. Thanks for having me on. We're going to call you our paranoid security analyst. Uh, <laughs> I feel like that would be an app description. I'll, I'll take that with pride. So there's there's a few things coming up about it, but what's what's the first thing from a security aspect that concerns you about this particular app? Sure. Uh, so for me, right off the bat, and we had spoken a little bit beforehand about how uh, when you download the application, um, one, uh, one of the main things that it does is it asks for an import of all of your contact info. Um, so what that means is essentially that uh, any information that's been stored on your iOS device, however you've categorized or built up a contact information of friends, family, employees, uh, all of that gets codified and sent off over to Clubhouse. Um, so there's a couple different reasons why that might be concerning. Uh, so one, uh, if we have all this information that's being gathered and sent away, um, if I'm one of the contact lists, but I don't actually use Clubhouse, I may not want that information to actually be transferred over. Um, so from there, uh, if you've, let's say, synced your work profile or your work contacts or emails, 
uh, you may have already inadvertently doxed a lot of people on that list just by virtue of signing up for the application. Uh, even from there, your own personal identifiable information is used within the sign up for an application. That's fairly standard though, so we're a little bit less concerned about that. Um, but what we're looking at from there is essentially uh, what are the areas that we do have control over and what are areas that we're sort of losing control in terms of where the data is being flowed to and what things I have control over. Yeah, that's not because I've signed up for this thing and I said, yeah, you can have my contacts. But yeah, I didn't really think that through. Like now they have all of John's contact information, his private number and, and, and everything, don't they? Yeah. So for the majority of people, it actually may not be a huge deal. But as I said, in, this, in the instance of a work synced phone, a lot of the time that pre-populates all that information already. Yeah. So on a standard friend's number, you may just have their regular cell number and that's about it. But for work contacts or work-related emails, you may actually have a lot more information that's just pre-populated and sent off without your knowledge or consent. Um, something definitely to be aware of sort of going into the uh, an application like that. One thing I noticed when I first signed up and I was looking through my contact list to see who was already on it, it actually had identified everybody in my list that had friends on Clubhouse, which yes. is really kind of strange when you think about that. It's like, they're not on Clubhouse, but they know 14 of those people's friends that are on Clubhouse that haven't yeah. invited them yet. A lot of what these applications will look to do is create what they call shadow profiles. So they get a general sense of, of metadata or interactions between either you, friends, family, again, all that sort of localized groups. And it starts to create these sort of generic profiles without explicit data. So it doesn't know your name, it doesn't know your address, your phone number, all that sort of stuff. But what it does do is it creates this overall sense of who this person is. And on the instance that you do sign up, snap, I've got all of your sort of heuristics as to what you may be interested in, who you've already connected with, what your interests are, that sort of thing. Great. Let's uh, look at some of the other security issues. Uh, there's also, uh, I'm reading articles now about uh, the Chinese government having access to some of this information. Have you followed that? Yeah. So there's um, an interesting sort of breakdown. And, and we've seen this actually before, as I had mentioned uh, with TikTok, where uh, some of the servers are hosted across the sea. So their over, overseas company, I think it's Agora is the name behind it, who yep. owns the API. Um, their servers are based out of Shanghai and the other servers are based out of San Francisco. So information that's held within the Shanghai servers is actually falls under the jurisdiction of Chinese cybersecurity law. And, and now what that means is essentially uh, Chinese cybersecurity law, they have the ability to subpoena information in the name of national security. Um, now what that means for them is they could eventually, if they deem something on uh, Clubhouse tends to be in the nature of national security, they can subpoena to have those raw audio files and data things uh, sent over to them for their own review. Um, whether or not they act on that is a different story. However, the potential for them to do so is there. But I'm going to flip that. But couldn't like the United States government do the same thing? Like, is that much different than China? You're you're 100% correct. The United States probably can do the exact same thing. But however, the, always the concern is that with foreign governments, um, you know, what are the security related issues? What are we worried about in terms of access to the information that they could be doing? Um, you're right in the point that a lot of times people don't consider that our own domestic governments often do the, own, the same thing. Um, so again, another point to be thinking about when sort of registering for these applications is, well, is China really sort of the boogeyman in this scenario? or are they just being given a bad rap based on uh, previous uh, altercations? 
And finally, another uh, issue I, I, I read, I, I guess a third uh, a user actually uh, streamed some of the content on a third-party website as well. Yeah. Um, so this is something that is probably going to be a, a difficult problem for Clubhouse to uh, remedy um, for a couple of different reasons. So the initial inception was that this user realized that he could restream content without having full access into the actual Clubhouse application and just re rebroadcast it onto his own site. Um, since that violates their terms of service, they've since banned the user and shut that site down. Um, however, third-party applications that skim audio and data like that have been around for a long time. Look at Twitter, look at Instagram. These things already exist. Uh, it's not a far-fetched cry to imagine that these will continue with Clubhouse's sort of development, especially with its viral explosion of people downloading the application. Um, even beyond that, just in the simplest sense, there's no real way that Clubhouse can enforce someone from just holding up a recording device to their phone and just recording the sessions anyway. We've been talking with Isaac Kinsella. He is uh, over at the Infotech Research Group. He's their security analyst, uh, talking all about Clubhouse. We'll continue to follow this uh, new app and uh, what is happening with it in future shows. Isaac, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Mike and John. When we come back from the break, we still have a lot to talk about on today's program, sleep. We never get enough of it. Well, we've got all sorts of great tools and apps that can measure how well we're sleeping and even give us suggestions on how to get more of it and do it better. We'll be going through some of that uh, with our listeners. And we'll also be chatting about Facebook and its tussle with the Australian government and where we're at with that now. Back after this. You're back with the program. Mike, John and Graham here. Let's talk about sleep and some of the technologies we can use to not only monitor monitor it, but maybe even help us sleep a bit better. Graham, there are so many different types of wearables now that uh, have sleep tracking, the Fitbits. Uh, Apple has really gotten into the game uh, as well. Where, where would you even start? So that's actually a really great place to start. Um, you know, it started really with apps. Um, sort of back during the, the sort of first generation of iPhone stuff. We saw Sleep Cycle come out, um, which was a really cool app. Uh, it used the microphone on your phone to detect whether or not you were moving uh, while you were sleeping. So your sleep cycle is kind of interesting, right? You know, we, we get into these 90-minute cycles, and at 45 minutes in, that's where you're at your deepest sleep. And the longer we're asleep, the more REM sleep we get. That's the really restful stuff that you kind of need. Um, so apps were kind of the start. Um, when we got into sleep trackers, like physical sleep trackers, uh, it kind of changed the game, right? Fitbits, I mean, I, I bought one of these when they first came out and it did a great job of measuring um, all of that sleep quality. And this was sort of the conundrum when the Apple Watch came out because you had to charge the thing overnight. It wouldn't have the power to get through the day if you didn't. So giving up my Fitbit meant giving up my sleep tracking in order to get my Apple Watch. But right now, when you look at it, there's sort of three categories of physical sleep trackers. Four, I'll, I'll get into the last one. But the, the first one uh, is going to be uh, your, your phone. As a, as a device, right? With those microphones checking things out. Sleep Cycle actually used to put the phone right in the bed with you. It, does, it doesn't have to do that, do that anymore. Uh, the second one would be your wrist-bound sleep trackers. So your Fitbits and your Apple Watches. Uh, the third one are bed-secured uh, uh, sleep trackers. So this is things like the Bedit. It's basically a sleep tracker that fits underneath you. And the fourth one's a cool one. Um, uses radio waves. So something you plug into your uh, socket and it basically sends out a field across your room to see when you're moving. So I've been doing this for a, a fairly long time. And so I've been through Sleep Cycle, I've been through Fitbit, I've been through with the Apple Watch. Uh, and I found, a, I found a really cool app um, that popped up on my feed a couple of weeks ago. I've been using it for two weeks and it is way better 
than anything else that I've had. And it kind of uses a conjunction of all of these things. Uh, it's called Rise Sleep. And so this is an app that uh, uses your phone's motion to tell you, you know, when you, it'll be able to see when you're still awake at two o'clock in the morning browsing through Reddit or CNN. Um, it will use your Apple Watch to measure your sleep quality. So it'll take all of that sleep data that it gets while, while you've got it on your wrist in the bed and then uses AI to basically say, this is when you were asleep. You know, this is the quality of your sleep. And it'll also do things like predict during the day, you know, it'll say you're going to be groggy for the next 20 to 90 minutes. Um, from there, your peak energy is going to come at this time. You're going to need to rest at this time. This is going to sound crazy. It is bang on. I've, the last two weeks I've done this, I have looked at it and went, it says you've got a peak energy period coming. Go do the stuff that you need to get done for the day. You get it done. This is going to be a, peak, a period of low energy. Try exercising to see if you can bring yourself back up. Or eat a box of Smarties. And at the end of the day, um, they've got some exercises that you can do to, you know, uh, basically do a brain dump of here's the stuff I need to get to tomorrow. They present it to you in, as a list that next morning. Um, so all of these technologies have kind of started to culminate around the, the the data gathering that we've been doing. And that data gathering has been presented back to you to say like, this is, this is how good your sleep is. Um, Rise Sleep is actually taking it a step further and it is perfecting how you sleep and then how you go about your day the next day. That is really cool. I haven't tried Rise yet uh, myself. Uh, I've, you know, the, the Apple Watch and with your iPhone, uh, it's got some basic tracking. It doesn't really go into depth in in any meaningful way, I guess, for me. So I, I like the fact that some of these apps kind of give you a little bit more information. Uh, how long have you been using Rise? About two weeks now. Yeah. Um, so basically, it, it comes with a seven-day free trial. And the seven-day free trial, I've actually got to, I've got to give them some respect here. Um, they notify you two days before the trial is up, so you can cancel if you don't want it. Um, I hit three days in and went, I'm using this thing. It's 80 bucks for the year. Um, for the uh, for the subscription, you can go by month by month as well, but uh, I I paid it, no no questions asked. It has made a huge difference in how rested I feel. I'm not being paid to say this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it's interesting. You, you know, talked about how uh, you know your basic phone can do a, somewhat of a, a job sleep tracking with the apps and microphones, but don't you find having a wearable kind of gives you that extra bit of data that you'd need to to really know how well you're sleeping. Well, and this is it. It ties in with the Apple Watch. So now here's the thing. Use all the tools that are available to you. So the Apple Watch has the bedtime function and Android has this as well, has the bedtime function that's available. And about 45 minutes before you're supposed to go to sleep, it'll turn on your do not disturb. It'll start dimming the screen. That is helpful, right? Use those tools. Um, the Apple Watch data that I get from that that feeds into sleep, it also knows because without the Apple Watch, it's checking to see if you picked up your phone because we're all attached to our phones now. Uh, but occasionally, you know, you'll get up and you'll go watch TV because you weren't tired. Um, so it'll be able to measure that. Now, here's the thing. Sleep knows, uh, Rise Sleep knows that that's actually a good thing to do. If you're sitting there and you're restless and you can't get to sleep, don't keep trying to get to sleep. Go do something, spend some energy and come back. And it will tell you to do that. Very cool. We're talking about sleep tracking and uh, the app Rise. You want to check it out. I think there's a free trial, like uh, you said, Graham. When we come back from the break, more tech to talk. Stay tuned. You are back with the program. Mike and John and Graham here in studio. Let's talk Facebook now. They've had a big showdown with the Australian government over the past few weeks, basically uh, uh, all about Australia's uh, impending legislation to force some of the big tech giants like Facebook and Google to pay up 
for the news that they use to actually sell ads around. Facebook did not like this uh, coming legislation and pulled uh, any uh, search capabilities for news uh, for Australian users, but they have now reversed that after talking with the government. And uh, as of, uh, I think, uh, the past couple days here, Facebook's also saying that uh, they are going to match Google's $1 billion news investment after the Australia showdown. Thoughts? This feels a little like, um, you know, Mark Zuckerberg hearing the news about this whole thing and going, don't you know who I am? <laughs> and they pull the news out of Facebook and then everyone realizes that the world's actually better off if you don't get your news from Facebook. And I think there was sort of this like, oh, no, the minecart is on fire and running away from us. We need to get it back sort of thing. And so, yes, they've they've lifted their ban and generously donated a billion dollars. Like this is this is really easy to see. Gen- generously completely generously i know a, bil- a billion dollars sounds like a lot of money oh it's it's over three years too yeah I, I i say that sarcastically like you know when you take a look at what google and what facebook have been doing over the course of the last 15 years um you've got legitimate media organizations who are going out there and they are doing the work right we've got lots of really great journalists out there who are doing real work and you know for the folks out there who give the mainstream media a hard time Uh, these folks actually work pretty hard. And if you were literate, you'd understand that. So they're doing this work. And then you've got companies like Google and Facebook, who to your point, you said this right on the right off the bat, they're selling ads around it. So they're driving traffic, which is great, but they're selling ads around this traffic. Um, Without paying the the person who provides that news, uh, this is it's kind of tantamount to theft. So it's about time that the two of these behemoths paid up. The, the, the small challenge that we face here, though, is uh, Facebook and Google have deep wallets, which means that they are now the entrenched players in these spaces. If you are looking to have a startup that's trying to get into the social media space or trying to get, get into the search space, that's using the same sort of methodology that they are, you don't have access to resources. So the question is, you know, do we seat uh, the bill uh, for uh, for some of these services based on the amount of traffic that you're getting. That may actually be a good solution to this so that startups can flourish in this space. From what I understand, looking at uh, this pending deal, um, any media outlets will have to be generating more than $150,000 a year to be part of this. And so I'm just thinking for a lot of startup media and news sites, that's going to be difficult. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it absolutely will. Uh, I mean, that said, you know, this wasn't there for them before. Yeah. Um, And so it's not here after. Um, And really, I I think this presents an opportunity in the market for, you know, other ways of financing organizations like this to pop up. Um, You know, you may actually start to see more conglomerates of of news outlets where you've got people who we made $150,000 a year because there were six of us doing this. And then you're able to to get in on that. So, um, you know, finding like minded people and finding folks where maybe you can create a bit of a news network um, would be good. Maybe some opposing viewpoints um, would be nice. Uh, So it's it's not the gloom and doom that it seems. It's navigable, but uh, they got to do a little bit of work. Right. It's all. Go ahead, Mike. Oh, no, you go ahead, John. I was going to say, it also sets an interesting precedent for other places too, like Twitter. If I share a, 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 you know, a tweet from a news outlet, uh, what are the implications for Twitter and or for that news outlet for that, if I have a large following, for example? 
Well, and I mean, the big problem here was not that they were linking to the news because you want to do that. Um, it's the fact that they were reproducing it almost in whole um, yeah. on their platforms, which eh, that's no bueno, right? That's again, you're you're, you're taking uh, the traffic away from the news website. Uh, that that is tantamount to stealing it, and that's. But it's that's stupid. Cool. They're killing their cash cow by not supporting and paying these news outlets properly. A lot of them, we've seen it. They've gone out of business. Like so, yeah, yeah. it's just killing all these these different variety of news outlets and and different voices like you're just going to have just like two or three big conglomerate news outlets that can afford to play this game and it's just it's not going to be um valuable for society just to have all of them condensed into those few companies well and then this is i think where you know independent news needs to sort of stand on its own and and find other independent news to work with. And again, you may find somebody with an opposing viewpoint where you are able to uh, pitch in together. You know, we've, we've seen the rise of uh, new media pop up. Uh, you know, uh, we, we saw uh, Gawker, you know, obviously with uh, with all of their properties sort of rise and fall. BuzzFeed, famously with the, uh, the, the Christopher Steele dossier, kind of came out of nowhere, like, you know, BuzzFeed of the you know, which Smurf are you polls was suddenly doing actual real journalism. Um, so th- this this can be done. And, you know, taking our established uh, news media and making sure that they survive is one thing. Um, to your point, making sure that uh, folks who want to get into the space can. Um, but, you know, th- this 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 fund is really not the only source of funding that they have. Um, but I, I do think you're right. I think that that $150,000 barrier is it's a bit arbitrary and it's a bit of a challenge. Like it's, it's a pretty steep hill to climb if you're just getting started. Um, you know, some folks might say, well, we've seen a lot of crackpot, you know, quote unquote news sites that have popped up over the course of the last couple of years. So maybe this is protecting us against, you know, Uncle Cletus and his, <laughs> yeah, you know, blogger.com site that's now being supported as news. It's not. But that's um, what, but, you know, if we don't get this right, that's what we're going to be left with either like the big conglomerate news outlets and all this crazy small and uh, not every blogger is crazy i'm sorry but you know what i mean like kind of unverified <laughs> unverified uh type blogger news yeah i mean and here's the thing is and this kind of goes to what's going on in the united states right like here here in canada we have we have libel laws we have slander laws uh we have defamation laws that are fairly well put together um down in the states you know their fairness doctrine uh eliminated a lot of the protections that people had in relying on news being actually factual um and you know we've, we've obviously seen things go off the rails since then um the question is obviously like how is this going to differ between the us and canada obviously markets 10 times as big which is is what it is um but we are seeing independent news here in canada right we're seeing um, people like jesse brown in canada land um you know we're, we're kind of independent <laughs> but why does it so, take why does it take australia to to force this to happen like why not Canada or even the European Union? They're they're pretty good with this kind of stuff. Well, and, and the European Union had kind of like they 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 were the ones who had sort of kicked this off to a degree. Um, Australia, I think, just had sort of first mover advantage of getting into this this pipeline and saying, okay, we're getting legislation done now. Like it's happening right now. Yeah. Um, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, I guess, reading some of the articles, was apparently famously difficult to work with, and it just goes to prove that this guy actually does not know what the hell he's doing he has fallen 
bass backwards, as it were, uh, into the success that is Facebook and everything that he touches actually makes the company worse. Um, you know, the, I, I would say the users of Facebook and the other executives at Facebook need to look at this fellow and go, it's time for you to retire. You've got enough money, go away. Cause all you're doing, you know, like I said, they overplayed their hand on this completely and they didn't get anything that they wanted. They're paying the billion dollars in. Uh, this isn't a win for Facebook by any means. And if you even trying to paint it as a battle is embarrassing for everybody involved. And this is the way it's going to go because you know, if you're taking someone's work and not paying for it, uh, that's theft. So it's 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 time to start paying the piper. Well, we'll be following this story and uh, keeping you updated on it. Don't forget to hit our website, getconnectedmedia.com, giving away a lot of uh, great prizes this year. This month, it is a ZTE media tablet. This is an Android tablet with a fantastic screen. Browse the web, send emails, watch videos, and control your smart home with it. If you want a chance to win, again, getconnectedmedia.com and hit the newsletter tab. And it's simple. You just subscribe to our newsletter. All the instructions are there, and you're automatically entered in to win in any of the contests that we have going. And again, thousands of dollars in prizes. It's super cool. When we come back from the break, more tech to talk. Stay tuned. You're back with the app show. Mike, John, and Graham here. I don't know if you saw this news story, guys. We've been talking about uh, Starlink satellite uh, service on on our shows and how it's been great for rural communities. Um, There's this uh, little community in Lac-Saint-Marie, Quebec. It's about an hour's drive north of uh, Ottawa. Uh, And they don't have great internet, as you can imagine. Uh, But it looks like Bell has uh, brought their Bell 5, which is kind of fiber, up to one area of the southern portion of a lake up there uh, that uh, has all these million dollar cottages essentially and so all these uh you know rich people that have these beautiful cottages you know now have super high speed internet but the rest of the town that actually lives there full time they still have really crappy internet and so then we find out that guess who lives down in this cottage country here the ceo of bell (laughs) of course he does they, they don't even try anymore, do they? It's well, just like straight up super, super villain stuff. In fairness, both the CEO and Bell have said that was in no part their decision to, you know, hook that area up first. Uh-huh. Uh, I didn't know there was a volcano there that he lives under. <laughs> <laughs> so again, in fairness, they said that's not part of the decision. However, you know, the optics obviously don't uh, don't look that that great. What, what is part of the decision then? Like you've, you've had a town that's been there like, like with my parents, they've been there for 15 years. What is part of the decision? Like why, why did that group get it? I don't know. Well, we, we'd have to look into that, but I, I just, <laughs> it's just funny. You know what I mean? Like, and then there was the whole thing, you know, with all the, uh, the CERB and the grants, uh, you know, given to uh, companies uh, to, you know, weather out the pandemic here. Uh, I forget how much bell took in, you know, 122 million. 122 million 70,000 people uh and they posted record profits <laughs> yeah yeah like this, this this is just super villain nonsense at this point and here's the thing you know we talked about disruption they're about to get disrupted by starlink when you when you think about it we don't need cable television anymore we don't need iptv anymore it's convenient and it's awesome and if it's good we'll take it but we don't need it the, the need is no longer there it's the want so looking at all of these companies, you've got to stimulate the wants. And part of that is making me not hate you. Doing things like this makes me hate you. Anyway, we'll be exploring this more and, uh, you know, getting some more facts uh, on that. But again, you know, it's, the optics aren't always uh, 
great. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, some some interesting stuff. Don't forget, hit our website, getconnectedmedia.com. And I want to thank everyone that helps put the show together. Of course, Graham and John and the rest of the crew back at the studio. See you again next time. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.